It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday. It's one o'clock Pacific Standard Time. So we are live here talking about talent and talking to really talented people today. And that's really what this show is all about. Uh, I have had the real privilege of meeting so many inspiring leaders at different events, uh, like my first guest, and through uh, all sorts of different avenues and places. But when I'm out, whether I'm speaking or talking or I'm out learning, uh, and as I meet a lot of these cool people, I love to have them on the show so we can have a really deep dive conversation about what it is that they're working on, what is it that they are uh, finding fascinating about talent. And then hopefully that conversation can be useful for you in your own work, um, can be useful for you in your life. And hopefully you can share that with those around you and hopefully we make our workplaces and our cultures even that much better. You know, there's been so many great stories over the years. Um, this year, I released my first book, The Power of Company Culture, uh, which was inspired by my company's uh, story and uh, things that we went through and how uh, we were able to use culture to, to get up on top. Um, but also, it really has so many of our best stories from the radio show, uh, people from all different industries, big companies and small to the types of things they were doing, uh, really uh, specific and tactical things, as well as the big strategy. So love for you to check that out on Amazon. We actually just found out the Audible version will be available in January 2019. So look for that as well if you're an Audible listener. So um, as I mentioned, Talent Talk is live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific, uh, Pacific Standard Time. But most of you catch us on the podcast uh, on iTunes or listening on iHeartRadio. And we'd love to have you do that. Over 10,000 people a day have been downloading at least one of our shows. And we'd love to have you be uh, continue to be a part of that. Uh, and we want you to uh, share and be a part of the conversation. So if you're listening, uh, whenever you're listening, if you want to hop on Twitter and keep the conversation going, you can send your questions and comments to g 2 or even go in there and find the live stream of this uh, show. Uh, my producer, Mike, posts uh, the best comments uh, tags our guests, and we certainly make sure to respond to any feedback we get. So, uh, speaking of my guests today, I'm going to have uh, two great ones. The first one will be uh, Wayne Termel. He's the co-founder of the Remote Leadership Institute, and a gentleman who I met uh, at, in a conference in Guatemala, of all places. And then our second guest will be uh, Chu Chow, the co-founder of CMO of Perkbox. But let's go ahead and get the show started. Now that we've gotten through all the business and kind of all the introductions, and uh, bring in Wayne. So, Wayne, welcome to the show. Good to talk to you, Chris. How are you, man? Doing well. So, I think of you often every time I walk through the airport and I go through that Hudson News. There's your book, proudly 
displayed uh, in the airport bookstores. So uh, I'm sure you're doing well and, uh, and and getting the word out about remote leadership. But maybe you could tell everyone a little bit about yourself, you know, what's important for us to know about you and, of course, the work that you're doing at the Remote Leadership Institute. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you mentioned, you know, this is the latest book, and it was co-written with uh, my boss and co-author, Kevin Eikenberry. Remote Leadership Institute is part of the larger Kevin Eikenberry group, and really it's about helping people demystify this whole working remotely thing, which we've kind of woken up one day and are dealing with. So, you know, I've been writing on communication for about 20 years. I also write fiction as well as nonfiction. And, uh, you know, really my obsession is helping people communicate better at work, regardless of how they have to do it. So that's kind of what brings me here. So I know uh, kind of when looking at uh, getting you on the show, we looked at a little bit of research and I found this quote by Marshall Goldsmith, which I thought was really great, uh, listing you as one of the most unique voices in the new world of work. So what do you feel you're doing differently that has kind of earned you that type of label? What, you know, where, where do you kind of find your, your, your biggest passion right now with the work that you're doing? Yeah, I, I think Marshall said that because it was a nice way of saying he didn't know what to make of me. Um, I think that a big piece of it, Chris, is that I have kind of a unique background in the training HR uh, talent development world for two reasons. First of all, I was a stand-up comic for the better part of 20 years in, in the 80s and early 90s. And as a result of that, I uh, take a fairly irreverent approach things and tend to be a little more candid perhaps than a lot of people and the second thing is I come from a really really blue-collar background and so I look at work very much from the standpoint of the individual striving to do their best regardless of where they are in the organization maybe a little healthy suspicion of the boss which overall is not really the norm in the training and development field. Uh, not that I am not earnest, not that I'm not serious about my craft and, and what, we, what we teach, but maybe not quite as straight-laced as most of the industry, perhaps. I think that's what he was getting at. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, maybe we can kind of turn or lean in here to remote work, uh, which is why you and I got mm-hmm. connected, and certainly is the cusp of, of the work that we're focusing on here today. Um, as you started to mention, you know, people sort of waking up to this reality of, of remote work, and you even hinted at some of those challenges. And certainly, you know, a lot of people find it tricky to wrap their heads around this idea. Uh, and that for others, it's becoming a very commonplace uh, and really the, the mode or the preferred mode of operating inside of a business. So what do you focus on as you equip people to understand the benefits and the challenges of not only working remotely, but also leading, which is, you know, another big component, leading in a remote environment. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because, you know, Kevin for 25 years, and I know you've been on his podcast, uh, has been focused on leadership, and and my area of expertise has been virtual communication and, and presentations. And as we were talking about why does working remotely feel so different, 
there were some very real things that we're dealing with kind of for the first time. You know, I'll give you a really simple example. Since the invention of email, 70% of business communication is now in writing. That's never been the case in human history. That's changed the way we work, right? And some people have adjusted naturally and do it just fine, and others are struggling with making themselves known, and others don't quite know how to manage it. And that's just a really simple example. So what's happened is that the the job of a leader or the job of anybody hasn't really changed. I mean, what we have to do is exactly the same as it's always been. What's changed is how we do it. And most organizations have kind of woken up one day and went, holy cow, we've got people scattered all over the place. It really wasn't done with a plan, and so there was no chance to develop and prepare people for this change. They kind of got thrown into the deep end, and that's what we're learning from our research. It's what we're hearing from our clients and and certainly the readers of The Long Distance Leader is that at last, you know, somebody's kind of putting a name on what we've been experiencing. Yeah, and and that's really kind of important. Um, I think you bring up a great point about the change and how we're um, really doing business. And one of the fascinating parts about doing more in the written, especially in email, um, is how we tend to, you know, in a verbal conversation, assume people are, give them the benefit of the doubt, and yet in email we sort of assume that it's negative. Uh, we sort of take this opposite approach, right? And so if we're doing more business uh, from from a written standpoint, we now have an entirely different psychology and different approach to have to really think about um, as we communicate and uh, and go out there and, and do that. And, and then, of course, there's always that issue of access too, right? I mean, people could just not read your emails. Uh, it was a little harder for them not to take your phone call or if you show up to their office every day uh, at 8 a.m. and try to talk to them. It's a little bit easier, I guess, from that end aspect, but you lack the scale. So I think you're bringing up some really well, great points. That's really an important important point is that so much of the communication when we work apart from each other is transactional, right? It's one way. I send you the message. I leave you the voicemail. I send you the Slack, whatever it is. And I go, okay, I told them my conscience is clear, but you have no idea. Was it understood? Was it read? Was it ignored? Did they roll their eyes and call you terrible names when they read it? You don't know. Right. (laughs) And so you very often don't know there's a problem until further down the road. And it's not just written communication. I mean, if you and I are sitting in the office talking about something and I make a suggestion, right? Mm-hmm. You might say, okay, fine, but there are 20 ways to interpret that, right? Any married person on the planet knows, okay, fine, is not an acceptance of the situation. Right. You, you right, don't absolutely. know. Do they really mean it? Are their eyes rolling? Are they saying it so you'll go away? At least when you're up close, you can hear the tone, you can see the body language, all that stuff. When you're working remotely, you really don't know unless you work really hard to get that understanding. And so it's not that leading remotely or working remotely is inherently more difficult. It's just more complicated, and we need to be more mindful of how we're doing it. And most of us 
be honest, aren't very mindful at work, right? We do what we do, and we're running as fast as we can. And so we don't always think about the consequences as much as perhaps we should when the stakes are that high. Well, and I've often said that uh, when people experiment with remote or virtual workers, if their culture is not really doing well to begin with, and if they don't have a great way to measure and communicate and do some of the basic things that we expect our companies to do well, going remote is like, you know, it's just making a bad problem worse. Um, because now, at least if you're in an office, if no one's ta- communicating, you can at least go knock on someone's door and say, what the heck is going on? Um, and, and get us, and you can get a sense for the energy in the, in the company. We were remote. You don't have that. Um, and so things are, I, I sort of noticed that things are bad. They get worse. Um, on the flip side, I've noticed that a good companies who have great cultures and they are doing those things right, that remote work is really a way for them to get better, to expand their abilities and, and really expand their companies in ways they can't do in a traditional setting because of costs or because of lack of talent in one particular city, uh, and things like that. Is that is that sort of some of the things that you get into uh, you know, yeah, in your book, The Long absolutely. Distance Leader? You know, one of the things we found as we were researching the book and we take surveys of leaders and all that good stuff, is what we found is that you can make this work and you can make it work exceptionally well. I mean, you know this at your own company. You have a almost entirely virtual workforce, and yet you put in the time and effort to establish the culture, to put the metrics in so that the managers aren't sitting there wondering what's going on, creating all kinds of paranoid uh, thoughts that turn them into micromanaging weasels. Right. Right. Um, You've put the effort in up front. You've been very mindful about creating those contacts in lots of different ways, and therefore you can leverage the the uh, advantages of working remotely. So many organizations started remote working for perfectly valid reasons, but there was never really a plan, and their existing leadership was primarily used to working in an office environment, maybe a branch office type environment was the sum of the remote work. And so a lot of the managers feel like they've been thrown into the deep end. And the good ones are of two things. The good ones are getting the job done because they're good leaders and they know what it takes. But the second thing is some of those leaders, the good ones, are the very ones who are struggling the hardest because of the nature of the remote work, they have their own individual challenges, including things like having to work more hours. Because if somebody's going to take the bullet because of time zones, well, I'll do it so they don't have to. And pretty soon the leaders are struggling with work-life balance. Coming from a place of servant leadership and wanting to do the right thing for their team, they're kind of taking the heat. Right. Um, and organizations aren't necessarily capable of helping them do that. Uh, the other thing, I think, is that uh, one of the things that we hear is managers say, yeah, we're getting the work done, but because I'm not getting regular feedback, I don't really know how I'm doing, and I feel like I'm putting it all out there, and I'm not getting any validation that I'm doing the job right. 
So I'm working really, really hard, and I'm kind of crossing my fingers, and nothing's blown up yet, so I guess it's okay. Yeah, and I think that's the other interesting component is it eliminates some of the politics right so some people can get ahead in their company or feel like they feel some level of safety because they can be very political and maybe you know kiss the right butts and you keep your job or you move up on the you know up the ladder but i find that remote work sort of decentralizes some of that and really shines the light back on you know who's really doing a good job because you have to measure it you, you kind of have to know what people are doing um, and it becomes less soft um, as it is maybe or other organizations. And if you have a mechanism for that, it works. But I guess if you don't, then it suddenly, you know, people feel lost. They don't know how to, am I doing a good job or not? Does my boss know if I'm doing a good job or not? Uh, and some of that kind of goes away when it's no longer about, geez, we hang out and have pizza every Friday you know, in the lunchroom together. Um, or, you know, I always have coffee with this, you know, with these three managers every Thursday, whatever it may be, you kind of have to change that, uh, that process. Do you agree? Well, yeah. And you need to make sure that there is in fact a process. One of the things that research is showing is that while companies say, Hey, you know, we measure people on their work and just because you work remotely doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to get the promotion or the assignment or whatever it is. But if you talk to the individual workers, you know, those suck ups at home office get everything right. Right. <laughs> so again, if you are mindfully creating the culture and setting expectations and, and getting metrics that people can buy into and say, yes, this is a reasonable metric of my work and I will be rewarded and recognized for the job that I do, you're not going to have that problem. If you're using performance metrics and you're using HR systems, which intentionally or unintentionally skew towards the suck-ups at home office, uh, you know, that's a challenge. And, and, and a lot of the culture things, and I know you touch on this a little bit uh, in your book, but one of the culture things that has emerged completely unintentionally is this division between on hybrid teams where you've got some people in the office and some people working remotely and there's a lot of us versus them going on, uh, sometimes overt, sometimes not. But, you know, both groups kind of feel like dad likes the, the other group best. Yeah, and that's really a matter of transparency and communication, because really what's usually happening is people just don't know. And so if they don't know, then they kind of assume the worst. Um, people and if seldom make up the best case scenario. Right, right. We all, you know, that little that little voice in our head, you know, rarely ever gives us the positive story. It's the, I haven't heard anything, and my boss hasn't called me, and no one's told me I'm doing a good job. They must love everybody else better. Um, when it might be the opposite, the boss thinks, "Geez, I don't have to worry about you. You do a great job. I'm over here, you know, dealing with all these lunatics and clowns in the office, and I'm really, you know, happy that you, you know, I don't have to worry about you." Um, and, but it's a matter of having that communication. Um, I managed an instructor corps around the world, and I fell into that trap where it was uh, no news is good news. You know, I'm sitting there going, I'm an accessible guy. Everybody knows how to reach me. My virtual door is always open. You know, if I, if I don't hear from you, I'm going to assume that everything is fine. And, of course, that is an impossible way to function over time because even if everything is fine, 
that lack of attention and that lack of connection, and, and frankly, you know, if you're spending all your time with your problem children and not coaching your top performers, that's going to bite you in the pants eventually as well. So I'd love to hear, uh, you know, we don't have a ton of time here. We have just a moment. But, uh, you know, how do you go from being a stand-up comedian to being a remote leader, uh, you know, author about remote leadership? You know, what's the what's the two sentences on that? How do you transition from, from one, that one career to another? You know, I worked through the 80s into the early 90s. I was a stand-up comic in Canada, moved to L.A., had a nice little career going, and then... What propels it is when the bottom falls out of the business and about 80% of the comedy clubs in the country close within six months of each other. Ah. And you find yourself with a wife and a child and a need to uh, pay the bills. And so I only had one marketable skill, which is I could stand there and talk. And, you know, if you go down the list of job descriptions <laughs> where that's the number one skill, corporate trainer bubbles to the top pretty uh, pretty quickly. And so I got in as a practitioner teaching presentation and communication skills, which, again, goes to, you know, I don't come from an MBA HR academic background. I came into training, you know, from the ground floor, and it just fascinated me. And the writing, I was asked to write some articles, and they were asked to write some chapters, and that's continued over the last 20, oh, my gosh, years. Um, right. Well, we, we, I'd so, love to you get know, you it, back it on the show again. I feel, like, I feel like we barely scratched the surface here. Uh, so hopefully we can get you booked again and have you come on, and we can go even deeper into all the other kind of cool things that you're doing and talk about your other books. Uh, but I'm sure oh, I'm no, glad don't that ask we... me back to talk about my book and drive my business. No, don't do that, Chris. That would be awful. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure I'm glad that we met in Guatemala and we got to speak together uh, while the volcano was erupting, uh, which was an interesting experience. But um, anyways, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about you and the Remote Leadership Institute? Yeah, absolutely. And the Remote Leadership Institute is way more important than learning about me. If they go to remoteleadershipinstitute.com, they can follow uh, us on Twitter at Leading Remotely. Uh, my personal Twitter is at WTermel. Knock yourself out. You're welcome to follow me. Uh, opinions of that site are not necessarily those of the management. Uh, but really, if you visit RemoteLeadershipInstitute.com, you'll get a sense of our approach to helping develop these skills and the ways that we're working with clients around the world to take some of the mystery and stress out of this and just help people get the darn job done. Well, fantastic. I hope they check it out, and I hope we can have you come back at some point. Um, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with my second guest, Chu Chow. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. 
Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, PeopleG2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Uh, if you missed my first guest, Wayne Trammell, you can catch his interview and this one as well. Uh, here in a couple of weeks, we'll have it posted into iTunes and iHeartRadio. Uh, love to have you take a listen to there. And of course, listen to any other shows that we ha- have on there for the last uh, four or five years of, of doing this show. So um, you can also go to talenttalkradio.com, which is our uh, show site, and there you can uh, subscribe and uh, follow the show there as well. So uh, don't forget to uh, tweet us if you'd, uh, you're listening live, or even if it's afterwards, you can uh, send us your comments, your questions to there are to me to uh, PeopleG2 at PeopleG2, and of course to our guests there as well. I would love to keep that conversation going. But my next guest is calling in uh, from London. Uh, Chu Chow is the co-founder of CMO at of Perkbox. Uh, and uh, let's go ahead and bring him in. Chu, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself? Uh, you know what's important for us to know for this conversation today, and of course, what do we what should we know about Perkbox? Sure, sure, absolutely. So yes, my name I'm Chu. My uh, business is called Perkbox. Uh, we've been uh, running for close to eight years now. Um, we're based out of London. Um, I'm originally American, actually, as uh, so, a yeah, hence the accent. <laughs> um, so Perkbox is an employee experience platform. We help businesses engage, motivate, and retain their staff. Uh, we have a variety of products and services, uh, one of which is our Perks and Benefits, uh, and that's just what we started off with. Uh, now we, we've expanded quite dramatically. We have Perkbox Insights, Perkbox Medical, uh, Perkbox Reward and Recognition, uh, and a few others. So what we are trying to do is to help businesses create a much better workplace to help them engage and motivate their staff. We believe that it's important that every employee has access to a great workplace. Uh, we're a mission-driven business. Uh, we truly care about what we're doing, and we, we really believe that we can have a, a positive impact on society. Well, some of the things that you guys are doing are really uh, fascinating to me, and I'm kicking myself because I was just in London a few weeks back, and we wish we could have connected. But uh, maybe you could kind of talk about what you feel it was really, what is that kind of maybe one or two things that you find people get really excited about uh, as it relates to your solutions inside the marketplace? You know, what are the things that they're kind of really hungry for, they're really dying to to, to utilize or to understand better? Sure. So, you know, let's just take a step back. So perks and benefits uh, are really important to, to our, our users. But, you know, if you look at the HR sort of industry, if, if you will, uh, it's you know perks and benefits and recognition uh, programs. It's been long, it's been around for many many years. It's not anything new that we're doing. 
but what's really interesting and and what what we've done that's really been disruptive in a positive way is that we created a brand that connects directly with the employees. So traditionally, it's been very um, corporate, corporate, very, um, I'd say a bit stale, and, and users aren't really seeing the true benefits of this. Uh, but when we created Perkbox, and because my background is marketing, I truly wanted to make this uh, resonate with end users, to make them feel genuinely happy that you know, Perkbox is their friend, that we can really reach out to them, understand what their uh, problems are the concerns and really connect with them and providing perks is a means uh, one of the means that we we use to to connect with the with our end users um, so that's really what's different uh, with what we're doing and and I think we're just at the very beginning of our journey uh, I think we're getting lots of positive feedback and that's why we're launching other products to really truly solve uh, the, the, the what we call the disengagement problem in the, in the workplace so it sounds like you're having some really great success and a lot of growth. And as you're expanding your offerings, um, you know, one of the things that all companies are dealing with as they go through that kind of uh, growth and, and success is how do you find, you know, that next kind of generation of talent, that next group of, of great talent that's going to come in and help you? So what, maybe what are some of the things that your company's doing to think about having the right people, uh, you know, helping you grow and succeed? That's a really good question. So we, we talk a lot about this. And what it boils down to is uh, creating a great work environment. Uh, and when you create a great work environment, you create a great culture. And that great culture translates to what we call the employer branding. So when, when, when job seekers are out there looking for, for jobs, they'll, they'll use social media, they'll go on LinkedIn, and they'll, they'll see the positive things that we're doing, not just for our clients, but also for our employees. Uh, so when that is, uh, so that's now obviously with technology very very prevalent, and so that really helps us attract talent in in, in ways that we would never imagine before, uh, and that creates that, that employee branding is really important. I think we, I would add say to other businesses is that you know business nowadays are very transparent. What you do in, at, at the workplace, uh, you know, can be seen in the public through social media, through word of mouth. Technology has really changed the game. If you will. You know what I mean, and so that we need to really learn how that affects businesses and use that to our advantage to really uh, showcase our culture and really attract the best talent possible. Obviously, when you bring them in, you have to carry through on that, right? It's not just about attracting talent; it's about managing them, managing them, growing them, providing them with the best workplace possible. And I'm sure that's something that you said you're actively talking about and thinking about as you've doubled your staff over the last year and opened a second office. Uh, I know some companies might struggle with growth and how to manage the change and I mean, manage different locations. Uh, maybe you could talk about how you've managed to achieve uh, what you've done so far without you know, damaging your company culture, or, or maybe you did and then you figured out how to fix it, but maybe what, was, you know, what sort of happened in that evolution as you, uh, you know, doubled in growth and added a second office. How did that kind of impact your culture? And what are some of the things you're doing to keep it healthy and whole? Yes. Uh, so uh, I laugh when you ask that question. Uh, it, 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 uh, I don't want to come across as, as being an expert because we're not. <laughs> we got to learn uh, in, in many ways uh, the hard way. Uh, so as we grew, some of the things that you know we did not anticipate causing major, major headache uh, just happened, for example. Uh, we had to let people go uh, because we thought it was our culture to hold on to people to to nurture them. But we, what we discovered was we need to be true to ourselves and those who don't comply with our culture, we have to let them go. Otherwise, it's actually more damaging than not. So I think as you double, you need to protect your culture. As you grow, or what I mean is grow your company, you need to protect your culture. That That needs to be the most sacred thing because as you bring new people in, 
you need to onboard them. You need to show them what it be, what it means to be a product boxer and what our values are, what our mission is. Uh, those need to be indoctrinated early on. And then if, then you follow them through with these people. If they don't comply, they don't feel like that's right for them, it'll, it'll stand out. And if it stands out, there's no no real reason why you should just try to you know force them into this mold if they don't want to. So you just have an open conversation and, and you move them on or, or they'll adapt to, to what, what is the culture of the company. And then secondly, uh, good management. You know, create a look at organization design. Uh, so, so every manager should have no more than you know seven or eight directs, uh, direct reports, and then really ensure that they are trained to be great managers, right? So, as you grow a business, you really need to create um, an, uh, a really robust org, uh, org uh, and that's that's really the key thing for us. So, as we grew, we hired middle managers, but also we hired directors, really experienced directors, not just on sort of their subject matter, uh, but as managers, as leaders, and, and really focus on that because you want them to take your mission and your values and deploy that and follow on through that. You cannot micromanage as you grow. So my, my job now is to really repeat myself basically, talk about our mission, our values, and what we stand for, and hopefully the directors will carry that message down the, the, the chain. So those are the two things I'd say would uh, are most helpful in, in terms of managing growth. I mean, some of the great things that you kind of talked about there is that, you know, you having to repeat yourself. And I, I, that's something I see very often with CEOs or leaders that they kind of just want to say it once and they expect everyone heard them and then they move on and they're done. And honestly, the best leaders are constantly kind of reiterating, regurgitating, repeating that message, what's important uh, to people again and again, so it's not forgotten, so it's remembered uh, again and again to your new people as they come in the door, um, and it's super important. And you know, I, I guess if you're someone who doesn't want to have to say thing say things more than once, leadership's <laughs> probably not for you. Uh, exactly. But it's a really yeah, it's a really great point. And and I also love just sort of that breakdown of you know you're going to have a certain amount of people with one manager, and then you're not going to let it really grow outside of that. I've had people on this show and they've said, well, you know, I worked for this company and we, I really struggled as a management role. And then, you know, you ask them, well, how many reports did you have? Oh, I had like, you know, a hundred direct reports. And like, <laughs> <laughs> how can you possibly do that? Right. How can you possibly even, even if you like had a, had a, one meeting with each report per day, you know, you'd only, you could only wait three times a year. Could you actually have a conversation with them? I mean, that's just crazy. So um, you kind of really, dive into some good stuff there. I appreciate that. Uh, maybe what are some of the common mistakes that you see organizations make when they try to get their employees to be motivated or engaged? Uh, or maybe you translate this into, you know, just get them to buy into a, a you know, perks program. You know, what are some of the things you're kind of seeing em, uh, employers do that tend to be common mistakes? Sure, sure. That's a really good question. So we, we uh, think about our clients. We sell perk box to all sorts of business, all sizes. We have you know, clients that have five employees to 50,000 employees. Um, and we have a really good read on on the marketplace and, 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 the, and how people use perks and, and, and basically um, using uh, and how they look at motivating their staff. Uh, the biggest challenges that I think we've seen, and, and uh, we, you know, we're very proud of in the sense that we want to have a solution that works and we want to ensure that what we're selling ultimately gets delivered and used properly. And the biggest mistake I've seen is that people look at this as a tick box exercise, right? Uh, and, and, and they say, okay, well, we're going to deploy this program 
and people should be happy. They'll just use it. Uh, but that's not right. What, what, what this is, what Perkbox is, or any, any tool or service, it, it's, it's a means to an end, right? And, and the, the means that we use has to be supported by great management and great communication, and people need to follow through. Um, what I see is sometimes the management or the business owners are not authentic. So that's a real mistake. When you kind of do this and you don't really live the values, it's like if you say, look, uh, we care about you, uh, here's Perkbox, uh, and, and that's it. They leave it at that. They don't actually follow through on their actions, right? It becomes uh, a piece of writing on a poster on the wall, and, and you know, you, you leave it there. Or they'll, they'll buy things and put in the office, and no one gets to play with it in terms of like a pool, pool table or what have you, uh, because it's, it's, they think it's the right thing to do, but their actions aren't, um, uh, you know, congruent with, uh, with what they're saying, right? So if you're going to say something about, you know, caring about your staff, you need to follow through. Uh, so those are a few things that really pop up. Uh, so boils down to authenticity. So you know that's that's how I see it. If if you really care about your staff, you need to act. You need to do all the things that uh, makes you authentic. So it sounds like um, you spent a lot of time developing your leadership abilities and thinking about you know how to implement them into your company. Uh, seems very intentional and purposeful. I'm wondering if there's maybe a best piece of leadership advice that you've ever received from someone and if you could share that with us sure i um yeah i've had a lot of you know feedback and, and advice over the years i i in a way i stumbled into this with with Perkbox. i didn't think i'd be in this position um you know i've been in in many many roles but nothing uh of this seniority of this impact and i'm really grateful for that the best piece of advice i've received uh in terms of being a leader is is showing empathy I think one of those human traits that are so powerful yet, I think are highly undervalued and under uh, misunderstood. So empathy for me is not about being kind or gentle or letting things slip and slide. It's not anything like that. It's about showing your staff you know where they're coming from. You can still be very stern and very, very focused on performance, but you need to let them know that you know where they're coming from. And when you have that empathy and you show empathy, um, trust follows. And with trust and empathy, people are going to be much more engaged and they're going to follow you and listen to you as a leader. And so these are the steps I've, I've you know, been told that you should have in order to be a great leader. And that's one of the best advice I, I, I've, I've seen. Uh, you know, you can be very, very smart, have amazing subject matter expertise. You can be a great manager. But if you want to be a great leader, you need to have a bit of empathy. So as you take that advice, you look at everything that your company's gone through. What do you? How do you see the future of work looking? You know, what, what is that? Maybe that's tomorrow. Maybe that's next year. Maybe that's ten years from now. But where do you think we're headed? Uh, you know, around this idea of work. Sure, sure. So yeah, we do talk a lot about that. So there's a, a really a healthy debate around uh, around that right now. Uh, so what I what I see is that there's you know a, a demographic shift, right? Millennials um, are now occupying a big big part of the workforce, um, and there's this big huge demographic coming online and occupying a big big part of the workforce. And then there's the other side of the coin, uh, which is technology and social media, and the, the clashing of these two movements or changes in society is causing some interesting things uh, coming up. So with millennials. My view is that they are very vocal. They have uh, very strong views about the world of themselves, 
uh, and they have strong views about management. Uh, they expect the best, um, and they expect their workplace uh, views and values to comply with their personal views and values. And so that connection isn't um, there before in, in past generations. And so what's really interesting is that uh, millennials believe in themselves, whereas in the past generations, uh, people believe in the system. So they'll stay in a job for 10, 20 years, hoping they'll, they'll move up the ladder and, and hopefully get something great at the end. Whereas millennials want it now. They want things to change. Um, whereas, um, and so when you look at that and you, you, you add on social media, LinkedIn, transparency of knowledge, um, you get something really interesting. You get what I see as businesses who are great at managing staff and great management uh, to really grow quickly because that, that the use of technology really amplifies great um, workplaces. And the, the negative is also true where businesses that are really, really bad with management and really have a, a poor culture um, gets you know a bad rap and, and gets really you know, ridicule online quite, quite easily. And so that's that's the workplace changing that I see in the future where you can't hide bad management. There's no place for bad management anymore in the future. You need to really own up and step up uh, to that because technology and, and, and the workforce are asking uh, for a change. Well, I and mean, you've given us a great uh, idea about what the future might look like. Um, and, you know, I think about this time of year, people start thinking about their New Year's resolutions and the things they want to, to do uh, next year, maybe to make their futures better. Um, and a lot of times that uh, suddenly pushes people into, you know, getting a new gadget, using a new app um, or something like that to help them in their you know, personal or professional careers. Uh, do you have an app or a gadget that you like to, to use or you're, you're kind of getting ready to think about using uh, for your New Year's resolution? You know, it's uh, yeah, that's that's a really good question. I um, one of the things I I like to do a lot is 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 to just learn about lots of different things all the time, uh, and I like to uh, absorb knowledge in a very kind of easy uh, manner. So I use Flipboard, which is a simple news aggregator app that you know I I pick topics and it just pulls in the most uh, you know relevant articles and it's you know it's quite time sensitive keeps me abreast of changes in the work in the workplace and in, in the marketplace I, I that's i would highly recommend that. it's actually a bit addictive actually <laughs> i find myself lying in bed just flipping through all sorts of articles and just reading it so i'd say yeah that's that's one of the apps i've been using quite recently uh and it's really good yeah i love flipboard it's a great uh, it's a great app it's, it kind of makes you feel like you have a newspaper because you're kind of flipping through it's almost like you know turning the page and finding the article that you want to read so uh, it's a great little one. And I know I think some people use Pocket as well along with Flipboard so they can save the articles in one spot so that if they want to go back or maybe you see something that, you know, about exercise or a hobby thing or for work. But, you know, it's not it's not like political news where it's going to change the next day. If it's an article you want to remember, that's a good app to kind of save it into and keep a little list of, of those. So um, what about books? Is there a book you're reading right now or one that you tend to suggest people check out? Yeah, so it's a good one. Uh, I've just been uh, reading. Um, I'm almost done with it. It's called uh, Eat, uh, "Leaders Eat Last" by Simon Sinek. Uh, I, I, you know, it talks a lot about his. Uh, well, um, Simon Sinek, uh, author and speaker, and well, well uh, renowned uh, uh, sort of expert in, in sort of uh, human psychology and, and just you know people in, in the workplace. So he talks uh, about this concept about the circle of safety um, and and how uh, humans are wired uh from a biological standpoint to to seek that and, and and you need to understand 
you know, most of our behaviors are driven by our biology. You know, talks about he talks a lot about the psych- psychological sort of uh, uh, factors, but also the hormonal factors where you know dopamine and adrenaline and oxytocin, so all these things are driving behaviors. And so, to be a great leader, you need to kind of understand people as 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 uh, as driven uh, as being driven by psychology, but also through these hormonal uh, sort of influences. And it's a very interesting take on leadership because I'm a very scientific guy. I like science as a way to, a means to understand the world. And he's really broken it down in, in such a way where um, it makes sense to me. So I highly recommend that book. It's a uh, fascinating reading. It, it, you, you just read, you know, it's go really quickly. Uh, but he did well, very well. I, I highly recommend that. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's been good. Yeah, it really is a it's a great book. Um, he, he's written some good ones, and uh, I would certainly echo your uh, uh, suggestion on that. It's a great one to check out if someone hasn't read it yet. Um, you know, you mentioned a lot of great things today. Uh, if someone you know was distracted and maybe only heard you say one thing, what is it you hope that they might take away or remember uh, as they uh, as they leave today? Sure. So, uh, yes, spoken a lot. I think the key thing for, for me uh, as a takeaway is, is that, you know, our time at work is so precious and, you know, time is life is really short. And, and I think if you are in a position of leadership, you really need to value that and learn to be a great leader. L- understand, you know, one of the best things about being a great leader is you're showing empathy, uh, under val- uh, value uh, culture and do whatever you can to protect it. Um, and, and lastly, you don't need to know everything. You just need to be a great learner, uh, someone who focuses on self-guided learning. So things that we, we teach you or talked about today, take that and, and kind of expand on that yourself and, and, and really dig in. Uh, so that's how I've learned. I, you know, I wasn't a great leader. It started out like anybody else, but I, I, I wanted to be a much better leader. So I focused on that. So that's, that's my, my takeaway. Well, how can people uh, get a hold of you or learn more about your company if they're interested in working with or you know understanding more about Perkbox? Sure. So uh, it's very simple. Just Google us. Uh, we're based in the UK. We've just launched in France. We're looking to launch in the US next year. So look look out for Perkbox in the US, uh, and also get me on link uh, get me on LinkedIn as well. So happy to connect. Uh, I love talking and being involved in the community. So whatever I can do to help, uh, I'll, I'll be really happy to do that. Well, I really appreciate you being on today's show. Hopefully, we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool stuff your company's doing. And and, uh, maybe the next time uh, you're out in SoCal or if I'm in London, we can connect. Uh, Sounds like we have a lot in common. So it was a real pleasure having you on the show today, too. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. Uh, Thank you, everyone, who's uh, been listening to the show. Don't forget to go to talentalkradio.com and check it out uh, or to iTunes or uh, iHeartRadio to subscribe and make sure that those uh, episodes show up there on your phone without you having to do anything. Uh, Today is the last show of 2018. Uh, We'll have some best ofs uh, for any of the the holes we have, but uh, we really appreciate everyone listening uh, this year, and we look forward to a great lineup we've already begun in 2019. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.